The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and with us along for the ride today are Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. We've got lots to get through on the podcast. We're going to be talking about, unfortunately, Manchester United's draw at Burnley. Lots to debate though on that, no doubt whatsoever. We'll also be taking a closer look at the captain Harry Maguire's form over recent times and rounding up any other business, including Manchester United's victory in the FA Youth Cup last night as well. But first of all, Andy, you're back in Barca, aren't you, mate? Yeah, I've got to cover um, Espanyol Barcelona this weekend. So got a lot of travelling this month with the European football back. So, well, Manchester United are playing Atletico Madrid, so that, that will be part of it as well. Uh, Villarreal, Juventus, got loads and, and interviews as well. So I've just had, um, came back to, uh, from Manchester, watched a lot of football in England over the last few days and I'll be back to watch a lot more. Problem is, <laughs> uh, the last the two games that I watched after that break, the two Manchester United games were both disappointing. I'm sure we're going to discuss that. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Mitten's gone a mitten. Hey, Carl, what have you been up to while he's been watching matches and travelling around Europe? Watching matches and travelling around England? Uh, you know, it was my first trip back to Turf Moor since about 2019. and uh, It's not changed. No, it has not. It has not, indeed. Uh, <laughs> Turf Moor in the daytime, it's quite nice because there's a little, you know, if you, the press box is quite high up and there's a nice view of, of like Burnley Hills and whatnot behind. Uh, but in the nighttime, it is, it was like one of those strange games where it started off just like a little bit damp and like a little bit of movement and you slowly reached wet and windy and you're going, oh, uh, Have you dried oh, out? Yeah. It just never stopped, did it? And it got worse and worse. And <laughs> I tried getting a cab back from the uh, uh, from the stadium back to my hotel and the cab driver just went, it'd be too expensive due to the work- road work, so I'd just be better off walking. So I'm in my raincoat and whatnot, I was going, sound, fine. Walk back, pouring rain after that draw. went, it's a proper northern <laughs> town and ground with four different stands and we parked quite close to, to it and walked down the hill and you see the floodlights and there's something magical about that. I like that in comparison with out-of-town, new, identical bowl stadiums and it was poorly lit. It was The weather was awful and it got worse and the rain was swirling during the match. I thought the United end was really, really good. It faded a little bit towards the end. Oh, yeah. But it was loud. They were rocking. It was really loud and far louder than the Burnley fans. They had, they had their moments. As I said on the previous podcast, I'd like Burnley to stay up. I like going there, but I was not feeling, that was what to use the word, like and Burnley as I left Turf Moor. The, the other <laughs> night and it was just I don't know whether it was where we parked but there were puddles everywhere just like oh I've just stood in another one why don't you have street lights here <laughs> yeah. you've been in Barcelona too long Andy definitely I think I'm, um, I'm definitely getting uh, lightweight I, I, definitely I'm, I'm struggling with cold weather when you're whinging about puddles yeah I think you might be <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get into it then. We've established that the weather was bad. We've established that the staging of the game uh, and a trip to Turf Moor, in, in a sense, was quite good. Um, and similar to that, really, the first half was great and the second half wasn't, Carl. Um, this is like watching the same film over and over and over again. And you still get the same ending, don't you, basically? My friend Brent said Ralph Ragnick, as a manager, is like when you're watching a beloved TV show with someone who hasn't seen it yet. 
because he's doing a lot of the things old United managers did. And you're going, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Do this. And, you know, we finally reached the point where, you know, ranks realised Cavani probably needs to start nearly every game as much as possible because he's your best striker in your front, in your front three because the way, he, you know, he holds on the last line. He, he's got great movement. He's got really good interactions with Rashford and whichever other uh, wide player you've got. So for the first half, I was really enjoying it. It, it looked to be maybe the best possible first eleven you can play for United. I mean, you know, Fred and Telly's been positive uh, for COVID, simplified things. But I thought, great first half, you know, yeah, okay, two disallowed goals. I thought the first one from the free kick, I wasn't going to get too angry about that because United got away with one against Aston Villa in the FA Cup for similar reasons. So I went, all right, fine, I'll take that. The second one with Paul Pogba on Ben Me, I thought, a bit harsh, but... Very much had the thought, this is going to be, you know, it's not a 1-0 drubbing, but United should get another one fairly early on in the second half and it'll be fine. And then, of course, Burnley score from the first goal, from the first shot they have the entire game in a 47th minute. And it just all goes to pot. And it was a really strange going to pot. They just, they just ran out of ideas. And I'm concerned at how quickly this United team seems to run out of ideas now because... The plan A they've got, this 4-3-3, how they're trying to use all these rotations, the use of Dallow and Shaw, it's quite nice. And if they can, you know, if they can get to a point where they go 2-0 up, I'm going to be sure United are going to be great. But they've got such a brittle confidence right now. They just completely lost their heads once Burnley equalised. In the first half, there were two or three moments where Paul Pop was making a pass and he stick his hands up in like a pause or like a wait moment. Uh, and there was one bit where they sort of fell back into a 4-4-2 to defend against Burnley. And you could see Pogba going, hold, hold, hold. Which is that sort of thing of Pogba being the one telling him to calm down is a bit odd because Pogba's entire thing is about playing football really, really fast. So if he's being the responsible one in midfield, something's gone wrong. Uh, and in the second half, there was just none of it. They just kept trying to play a million miles an hour. There was no... If you watch England play, you watch... The other team in Manchester player, you watch the other red team that Manchester United fans don't like. There's always a moment where they will basically stop playing football. They'll stop trying to score, but they'll just slow the thing down for 10 minutes and all their midfielders will just recycle possession and go, you know what? I'm just going to take this thing out your tail. And United can't do that. And that's why I'm concerned about how good this United team can do because they can't control games from the first minute to the last minute. The answer was a bit of a journey. Um, I'm going to come back to <laughs> something you said in there about the best start in 11 and Cavani being the best striker in a moment, but I, we need to sort of get into what went wrong in that second half, I think, Andy, because I was looking at this before. Um, so he's had 12 matches now, Ralph Rangnick. By my reckoning, in six of those games, so half of them, United have had strong first halves, then lost the way. So Crystal Palace and Young Boys, the first two matches. The first time they played Burnley when they were 3-0 up after about half an hour. Uh, Aston Villa in the FA Cup, they were better in the first half than the second half. Uh, and then obviously Middlesbrough and Burnley, uh, just this week, like seemed like exactly the same game in some ways. I think they've had 70 shots, haven't they, in the last three matches, um, which is just unbelievable, really, considering... They've only scored three times. Um, so in six of the matches, they've they've had a good first half and lost away. In the other games, they've been pretty poor, really. I think only once they've got better in the second half, which was against Brentford uh, in the win there a few weeks ago. They've not had a single comeback to, to win if they've got a goal behind under Rangnick, which is partly because they've not got a goal behind very much. Uh, the only time they've sort of rescued anything was a draw away at Newcastle. 
But then under Solskjaer, they had 17 matches. Uh, they only lost the lead three times in those games, so less than uh, Ralph Rangnick. Um, and, of course, he was sort of famous for his comebacks, wasn't he? So the United had three comeback wins from being a goal down and two draws from being a goal down as well. So it's not a great pattern for Rangnick, is it, Andy, really? No, good start seeing. United should have blown Burnley away in that first half. They should have blown Middlesbrough away as well. And if you want to go further back, Young Boys and Palace. So it was very frustrating once again at Burnley. Carl mentioned Cavani. I like Cavani. I think he's a great player. He's not going to play all of the time, but when he does, he makes a difference. In that first half, I thought Jadon Sancho was excellent. And I've seen more encouraging signs from him. Definitely. Uh, I thought Pogba played well. I think Varane plays well. He's fantastic. He's a brilliant um, defender. United knew how Burnley were going to play. They played the percentages well. United had three up, but I think Burnley felt that United's front players were too wide. They defend narrow. And in some ways in the second half, United played into their hands. They were quite happy when Rashford and Sancho had the ball uh, wide and United were less impactful centrally in that second half. Maybe Ronaldo should have gone in there when Cavani is shattered. Um, but I don't think he was at Burnley. I think that's why he was furious when he came off. Mm-hmm. There was a big shake of the head when he came yeah, off. Yeah, and I just worried that United are drifting into Europa League territory again. I, the optimist in me feels that United will finish fourth, but at half-time at, at Burnley, I, I spoke to another journalist um Kieran uh, Canning from AFP and he was saying ah, this is all Man United all Man United and I said yeah but you've not been you know, Middlesbrough Middlesbrough and have you been paying attention <laughs> you know no he's, he's, he's a very good journalist but yeah, yeah. He, he, I don't think he only covers Manchester United and I was scared about what was going to happen and, and it did happen and it's just not yeah. it's just not good enough you said about the, cran- the chances being created United had 12 shots in the first half. Burnley didn't have one. And the first shot that Burnley had was a goal. United have got to be more decisive. United are not conceding too too many goals. I think it's one goal most of the time. United have five shots on target in the first half. None in the second. We can talk about VAR, we can talk about referees, but probably going to even itself out over a season well also it, it's fairly boring to do that and it, I think oh, we all had opinions on, on, on both yeah. of them but you shouldn't be relying upon decisions again should you to get these results another another part Carl of this sequence which is interesting United have only actually scored more than once three times in the 12 matches under Rangnick in terms of what you're saying about conceding Andy they've only conceded more than once once in that time so it's not like they have to do much to win games, really, is it? But they're not even doing that, Carl, are they? Your, your piece actually was interesting as well, your take on Burnley about the positioning of some of the forwards and particularly the the decision to have Sancho left and Rashford right, which, I'll be honest, had me has me tearing my hair out because I like my right wingers on the right wing and my left wingers on the left wing. But reading your piece sort of told me a little bit more. Uh, yeah, this one, I've, I've seen quite a few United fans... Uh, get annoyed at Rashford on the right uh, and quite a few messaged me afterwards saying this Rashford on the right experiment has to stop I thought the whole point of getting Jadon Sancho was to get him to play on the right hand side which is fair yeah definitely there was the better part of a year 18 months where Jadon Sancho was was heralded as, as the as the future of Manchester United's right hand side and if things had ended differently he would have had the number 7 shirt and whatnot. 
Carl, he's the first right winger Manchester United have bought since Antonio Valencia. If you if you don't include Dan James, which has maybe been a little unfair. Dan James was bought to play on the left. Um, it was go, interesting then. to watch Dan James score two pretty good goals against Aston Villa this week, uh, yesterday as well. I think the thing about Sancho right now is it's almost it it it's basically Luke Shaw's too good, right? So Luke Shaw. If you are a Manchester United wide player, you want Luke Shaw behind you because Luke Shaw is the best fullback United have. He gives you the best overlapping runs, the best underlapping runs. His work in the final third is amazing. His crossing ability is massively improved now. And if you make a mistake, Luke Shaw, more times than not, will cover you. And if you are a Manchester United wide player who's not in a great run of form, who's maybe not hasn't scored in a while and just finding your feet, Luke Shaw's your guy. And I think that's why Jaden Sancho has had quite a couple, few games this season, both under Oli and under Ralph Rangie, on the left-hand side. He played on the left-hand. He played basically half his games last season for Dortmund on the left-hand side as well. He can do that. Now about Rashford, and you know, I'll preface this with my relationship with Rashford, and this is a conversation I tried to have with him, and he sort of looked at me weird and went, "Okay, then." I think. <laughs> I think. I know. I know it's not his favorite position. I know he much prefers to play on the left-hand side, but I think he can be a lot better for the team. And I think the team can be a lot better balanced when he plays on the right. Because when Rashford plays on the left, you know what he wants to do. He wants to get he wants to get on the ball, he wants to cut inside, and he wants to shoot on the right. He wants to shoot far post. He wants to use that sort of side-footed motion in there. And I think most of the defenders in the league know that now. Uh, and when Rashford's in good form, it doesn't matter. You know, We've seen games against Newcastle last season, against Brighton last season, both home and away, where... Rashford went I'm going to nutmeg you and I'm just going to run down the wing and, and get this goal when he's not in a great run of form he will he unfortunately gets tunnel vision when he's on the left overcomplicates things really gets into double and triple teams he gets blocked out and he has a lot of block shots when he's on the right hand side he can't do that he he basically has to become a runner he has to run in behind he needs he understands well I think he is better at running back post when he's on the right hand side as well and because he can't cut inside he has to pass a lot more to inside and if you put someone like Bruno Fernandes inside him basically United are better at build up so I think there's a benefit there to have him on the right hand side it's not a disaster there and I think the way Sancho is playing next to Luke Shaw and next to Paul Pogba on the interior I think that works and there was definitely a point against Burnley where basically they were all taking turns to beat up Connor Roberts like Sancho was on the left running at Roberts Roberts didn't know what to do with him Shaw was running didn't and Roberts didn't know what to do. The goal comes from a little moment where Rashford and Sancho swap, and then there was a moment where Paul Pogba started running. Roberts, I'm like, this is brilliant. You've all figured out this fullback hates you, and if you take him out on the outside, Shaw does the underlap or the overlap. You can get you can get a goal, and that was where the first goal came from. That's where Paul Pogba's goal came from, and then in the second half they just stopped doing it, which again is this. United have the again. I saw this against Middlesbrough where United had two or three really good phases of play in the first half or the first half an hour. Uh, first hour even and then they just stop and I don't know if it's a physical fatigue thing I don't know if it's a mental fatigue thing I don't know if it's a confidence thing when the other team equalizes but they lose confidence in the things Ragnick is teaching them because it goes to 1-1 and that is concerning Andy it stops and it's got to stop Burnley have won one Mm. game in the league this year United are struggling against poor teams Middlesbrough might be a decent championship side, but they're a championship side. And if Ralph Rangnick is not careful, his stock's going to start to drop right off. 
because we can all see positives. And I just think it's... Someone said something to me interesting after the game at Burnley. Pete Molyneux, he's, he's a really well-known United fan. He's actually the guy who held up the, the three years of excuses to Ralph Fergie banner back in 1989. And, and we still trust his judgment. Yeah. Incredible. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and he said... And he's watched United long decades, 60s. And he said, you never know when the turning point is coming. I found that quite interesting. It it always takes you by surprise. I'm willing to be taken by surprise at the moment (laughs) by United. (laughs) should mention one more thing about Burnley off the field. Saw some United fans under the stand, drinking Benedictine and hot water. I've not seen that at a football Mm. ground before. Can't claim to be an expert. Benedictine and hot water, two pounds. Is that cough medicine? It wasn't that cold. <laughs> cost it oh, cost it? two quid, <laughs> and it smelled lovely because obviously I wasn't drinking because I was uh, working. And yeah, they were getting stuck right into it. And also, Holland's pies deserve a mention. They are fantastic pies. They're from nearby Accrington, if I'm not mistaken. Holland pies, brilliant. Totally get it. Yeah, have your choice. Steak and kidney, meat, potato, cheese and onion, whatever you go for. But what did you just say before? What, what said, and water? I've never heard of it. No, I had not, to be honest. I had Benedictine. To, yeah, I had to Google it. It's a, it's what a, is it? It's a liqueur and it was with water and they sell it at Burnley for £2. And I just thought what, that in the, was... In the kiosk? Under the stand, in the kiosks, with pies. People were getting stuck into it. And I know, because <laughs> we've spoke about drinks He's before. He's in the face right now that I really wish. Yeah. This, this <laughs> I also, I've just never heard of it before. I'm 35 years old and Andy's just blown my mind. I also wish that <laughs> listeners could see Ian's enthusiasm when we mentioned Holland pies. He started wave, <laughs> waving his arms around. <laughs> Mate, I grew up in Oldham. Holland's pies are mega. Absolutely I'm mega. I'm nodding in when Boundary Park, they put pucker pies in, didn't they, at one point, because they sponsored one of the stands. And as kids, if United were at home, would go and watch Oldham. The devastation when those pies changed from Holland's to pucker, I, I can't even explain to you. Sorry, pucker pie fans. Um, how do you spell this, Benedictine? I need to Google it. Um, B-E-N-E-D-I-C-T-I-N-E. It's known as um, Benny and Hot. Oh, I've heard of Benny and Hot. That, is that what it is? That's what it is. <laughs> right. Why did they serve it at Burnley? Do you know what? You know what? Um, Google it is now telling me for a hundred yeah. years, the unofficial match day drink at Burnley FC has been Benny and Hot. The French what? liqueur, Benedictine, topped up with hot water. Burnley Miners Club is the biggest consumer of the spirit outside France. And it started out with soldiers returning from World War One in France. So they brought it back to Burnley. They brought it back to Burnley. And as I mentioned on the Blimey. previous podcast, when I didn't know any of this, by the way, uh, Burnley lost more players in World War One than any of any other football club. Yeah, I remember you saying. So I've just learned that as we're recording the podcast. But it smelled nice. And <laughs> my attention was just caught by it because others were drinking. I, I bought a Bovril, for example. And then all these <laughs> lads were drinking. What on earth is that? So, yeah, I've learned something today. I'm just reading about it now, yeah. It's the perfect accompaniment for champagne. I'm not sure that's ever happened at Burnley. Um, But, yeah, Benedictine is an elixir, a subtle alchemy of 27 herbs and spices carefully sourced from around the world. 
Sounds all right, actually, doesn't it? Dom Benedictine, the golden liqueur from France. We need to debate Manchester United's best starting eleven, I think, Carl, after what you said before. Um, Andy, what <laughs> sure do you think? Is that Manchester United's best starting eleven? Is Edison Cavani... The best striker, which means essentially is Manchester United a better football team without Cristiano Ronaldo in it? The best United performance I've seen this season had both of them in it and that was at Tottenham away. And they linked up brilliantly there. You've got barbed wire up your bottom, haven't you? But I do do feel... (laughs) I don't really answer. I love Cavani. I think he's brilliant. Don't love him when he asks for a few more days holiday. Mm. I don't like him when he doesn't play as often as he should. And I'm stealing myself for him to, to leave leave the club but he, do, he does offer something different um, he's only scored so, two goals this yeah, season exactly so you can't get too carried away statistics aren't good and Cristiano's are good not yeah. scored since December true true yeah. no it's his longest run without a goal since 2010 but even with that he's still the club's top goal scorer he is indeed uh, but as, as mentioned in the massive piece we did on Ronaldo it'll be still up there if people want to go and read it on the Athletic yeah it's a great read isn't it is this worth it? Are the Ronaldo's goals essentially worth the the team effort? So we're seeing right now in in Europe, there's a number of big players who have reached the level where yeah, they're going to score their goals, they're going to get their assists, but they don't necessarily contribute to the team performance. Which means the team will have to defend. You know, you see with PSG, PSG defend with seven players because their front three aren't going to track back, uh, and no one ever buys Cristiano Ronaldo to track back. He stopped tracking back partway through his spell at Manchester United the first time. Uh, and the whole point of buying Ronaldo was to basically do a rude Van Nistelrooy-esque, live in the box, score as many goals as possible. But you do have to bring up, and we have brought up before in this podcast when Dill went through, there was a point in time where Alex Ferguson looked at rude Van Nistelrooy and went, no, I can't have a player that just lives inside the penalty area. I need to do other things. Now, Ronaldo doesn't live inside the penalty area. He drops back deep, he goes left, he goes looking for the ball, which if you are a properly coached football team, that has had a manager instead for a long time. You teach your wide players. When Ronaldo goes wandering left and right, the person on the left or the person on the right swaps over and occupies the last line of defence. So at least at all points in time, there is someone bothering the centre-backs. United don't do that at the moment, which causes issues. So I think, yes, Cavani's not going to play every single game. We knew this when he got signed. Uh, I remember talking to someone at PSG when Cavani came over saying, he's not, he's barely going to play. He's more to, to back up Martial in cup games or whatnot. And then Martial, you know, I'm making a hand gesture about Martial. Um, but if Cavani is fit, if Cavani is 100%, I think United as a whole, I think United will have a better team performance if he, play, if he starts that game. If only because he plays, he occupies the last line of defence and he presses the opposition and he's the best person to put on front post their set pieces. To play devil's advocate, Carl, name me the performance this season that, that convinced you that that was the case. This season? That made me think, yes, yeah, Cavani? Well, recently, uh, yeah, without uh, Ronaldo. It would have had to be this one. This, this first half, I went, yeah, just, just keep doing this. Just keep doing this. Um, if you want to, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be Sancho left and Rashford right. Alanga looks like he wants to contribute to the press as well, so he might be an option. But for as long as possible, if you can have a front three led by Cavani, I think you should do that. I don't think that will happen too much because I think Ronaldo is... 
I mean, some football players defy footballing logic, and therefore the footballing logic I'm talking about, Ronaldo will, you know, you can, you'll probably start against Southampton, score a brace in the first 25 minutes. One of them will be a direct free kick, and then I'll look like a complete fool. But I, I really think the best front three probably doesn't include Cristiano Ronaldo anymore. And that's less to do with the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo isn't, you know, I'm not saying he's washed up or I'm not saying this. I'm just saying the thing United want to do at the pace they want to do it. Cavani's better at doing those actions. It sounded like Ralph Rangnick agreed with you as well before the game when he was asked why is Cavani not in the team because he was very, very open about, he didn't say it necessarily in relation to Ronaldo, but saying it in relation to Cavani meant that it was in relation to Ronaldo by saying that Cavani offers the type of things that he wanted. It needed a team to press, he needed a team to have high energy sprints up front and and that's something that Cavani offers that, that Ronaldo doesn't. And in terms of this, so... Randy was sort of talking in specific terms for the Burnley game and needing to do these things in the Burnley game. Well, the next two matches are Southampton and Brighton, who do play out from the back. So they're not going to have to press even more in those circumstances, which means that Cavani is even better suited to those games than Burnley. Yeah, and then look at the games beyond those two that you mentioned. Then it starts to get difficult. And that's my worry, that United have been limping against poorer teams and then we go into March and, and February. Atletico Madrid in February, they've actually been conceding far too many goals as well. They're not having a, a good season. The grass isn't greener for them. But when you move into cities and your Liverpool, I also know that this block of games, there was a view within the club that it was quite a forgiving start. After that break, uh, Middlesbrough in the cup, then Burnley away. And we speak after both of those games. And Manchester United failed to win both of them, drew both of them one all and went out against uh, Middlesbrough. So something has got to change. And and with Carl, in terms of that that first half the other night, I thought was really, really encouraging. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And, and even against Borough, I enjoyed that a lot. And I was doing match ratings and I was seeing like seven or eight players doing really well. I like Luke Shaw when he's going forward. Um, De Gea made saves when he needed to, but barely needed to in the first half of both. And in terms of the of the pressing, what you find with uh, Cavani is he'll just run until he's gone. Now, he felt the other night that he hadn't gone, but you've got all of those young lads around him. In terms of Ronaldo, when he signed, no one at the club knew that he was coming. So United had to rip up their tactical sheet and go against everything that they've been building against in the last couple of years. It was dropped in, in this storm of excitement. We all got carried away with it. Me included. Ronaldo signing again. He's still got it. Look at his stats. And I mean, look at his stats this season. Carl's right. He hasn't scored since December, but he scored 14 times for United this season. The next highest goal scorer is, is Bruno with, with seven. Is he taking goals of other people? United are not scoring enough goals. Look at the teams above United. Uh, the, 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 the goals are, uh, four have come, have come right down. And I think that this Ronaldo argument is going to be a perpetual one because I don't doubt that he, he has more minutes in him. He has more great minutes in where he does what he did against Villarreal or against Atalanta and he's the hero and he's the headline because that's what he does. We had a great... I, well, in the, in the match chat on the Athletic app during the Burnley game, I did ask the subscribers, do they think the front three from the first half was the best front three? Uh, and one comment and made the point of probably, but I would start Ronaldo in the Champions League. <laughs> uh, to which I, went, I sort of went, why? And he went, well, it's Atletico Madrid yeah. and it's the Champions League. 
that's what Ronaldo loves scoring against. Loves scoring in the Champions League, and they he loves his scoring favorite against opponents, Atletico Madrid. Aren't they, in so, terms of goal scored, yeah, yeah. And he, he, you know, I went. That's a really good argument. You know, part of me wishes that United played a German team so that we could get Jadon Sancho to have like, oh, look at that. And sometimes you need a good home cooked meal, and <laughs> that might be that for Cristiano Ronaldo. I like that line, a home cooked meal. <laughs> Okay, one of the biggest talking points that we've not mentioned yet, actually, somehow, against Burnley. Um, and it's been a big talking point for much of the recent times at Manchester United, if not all season. And that's the form of the captain, Harry Maguire. There's a great piece on The Athletic from the new data writer, Maram Al-Bahana, who has looked closely at the data behind Maguire's performances. Actually, she's fairly kind, Carl, isn't she, in her, her assessment of Maguire in terms of blaming maybe the structure of the team and the way the team has been playing for the reasons behind Maguire struggling. I think really what she's just trying to do is explain why it's not been good for Maguire. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I'm really excited to have Mara join the Athletic. I, I think she's a wonderful data writer and is going to do some great pieces, not just for United, but for every club. So I recommend everyone listening to check her work out. In regards to Maguire, ooh, <laughs> I'll make it... Good noise. So... I want to be clear, there was a point last year where Harry Maguire was one of the best centre-backs in the league, if not one of the best centre-backs in the country, country in Europe. He was that good. There was a, you know, that spell from January till his injury in, in early May. We were all lighting he candles is, ahead of that Europa League final because he was missing, weren't we? You he, know, He was astonishing. And then it gets the Euros and it looked as if, oh, is he going to make the England team or not? And I think I said words to the effect of, I don't care how good Maguire is. I don't want him playing because his ankle's knackered and he won't be his best. He comes back early. He puts in an astonishing Euros performance, gets man of the match in a couple of games. There was a great drill track that comes out that summer with a line going, defend your block like Harry Maguire. That's how good Maguire was in 2021, right? Yeah. He was a byword for just locking down defenders. And then he's had... Just a horrible, horrible Euros hangover. And maybe it's because, you know, he once again rushed himself back from injury. Maybe it's because, like many England players, not just at United, but up and down the league that feature the Euros, they're just knackered because they've played 50, 60 games in a row. But he, I remember watching the Southampton game and there was a moment where he had too much space to manage. And rather than make a sensible tackle or manage his space, he just went over to the, the Southampton attacker, I think it was Nathan Redmond, and just clattered him. Proper rugby style tackle. And then when everyone's up and outraged, you sort of looked at the referee and just pointed to the spot where he did the tackle and give him the booking and give the free kick there. And I went, that's quite nice, you know, cynical, but he realised the best way for me to defend is to do that. And he keeps doing those things this season. And a healthy and happy Maguire doesn't make cynical and boring challenges. The mistake he made, the part of the reason why they concede against Bernie's because Maguire shoots out of his line when McTominay is trying to deal with the six foot six well, Weghurst. And last season, season before, Maguire shooting out his line to make a tackle, it works. That's what he does. Right? He is Michael Cox has this theory about some defenders are dogs and some defenders are cats. Some of them just, you know, tackle the man with the ball and some defenders sort of jockey and move him left and right. And Maguire has always been the dog of United's defence. He will just beat you up if you have the ball. And when he makes those tackles, amazing, fantastic. And when he's happy, he makes more tackles than anyone in the United's defence. When he's not happy, you get what happened at Burnley and you get what's been happening all season. And 
Maguire's a good defender, but when Maguire makes a mistake, it tends to be a bad mistake because he tends to not only miss his tackle, but completely disorganise the defence around him. I think he's a player where people at the club feel that he will take more risks in the way that he plays. Sometimes it comes off for him, sometimes it doesn't. Whereas if you compare him to Raphael Varane, he tends to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. Varane is a cat. Varane is all about space. He's all about space management. He will not make a tackle until he's decided this is the correct point in time to engage. Where Maguire will always be, I'm taking responsibility for this. I'm going to go out and get the ball. It was said to me about uh, Varane. Um, it doesn't complicate the game. If he's in trouble in the channel, mm. he'll just kick the ball out or put it into a position where his teammates can recover or regroup. Whereas Harry Maguire will take more risks. Sometimes they'll come off, sometimes they don't. Whereas Varane's speed and clarity defending and his first touch are some of his biggest attributes. I think looking at the piece that you mentioned, um, one of the statistics is him heading the ball in open play, the way that he mm -hmm. receives the ball under pressure. He always chooses the right option. He's a very clean defender technically and mentally. And you mentioned Harry's confidence I think it is lower this season because he's not having a good season. United fans uh, are getting on on his back as well they might. I think he's still the most expensive defender in the world. And as Ian said, when he was injured, which was rare for him, because I think you've got to credit his consistency and lack of injuries because uh, there are injury issues across the other Manchester United central defenders. He's, he's almost a victim. He, play, he plays through injury as well. He puts himself through it when other players would have. two months definitely with hip injections. Exactly, yeah. So that, exactly. That, that should be to his credit. And I think yeah, I agree. when he got properly injured, I think it was at Villa away towards the end of last season, mm -hmm. and we knew that he'd missed Gdansk, his stock rose in his absence, probably to its highest level among United fans. And I also think it was to his credit that he went to Gdansk. He was one of the few players whose family also went there in expectation or hope that he would lift the Europa League. And a lot of the other um, players' families didn't go, partly because it was difficult and complicated to, to travel there. So I think he buys into the whole Manchester United. I mean, he's the captain of, of Manchester United. I don't say that with the conviction of other captains because his form this season has has worried me. At Leicester, when he, he came back, I was inclined to say, okay, that's a one-off, but it, it hasn't been a one-off. He shouldn't have come back. And that, and that you know, we, we Adam Crafton's spoken about that and, and we now know about there were conversations in the dressing room where other United players sort of went, why is this? Why is Harry Maguire starting? Why is a half at Harry Maguire starting over current defenders? Ollie admitted it was his call and he made a mistake, but... Ollie's gone and Harry's the one who got the stick for, for that performance mm -hmm. that day. United as a team, since Harry Maguire have turned up, have always been about personal responsibility of make your tackles and we'll figure out the rest later. Because, again, other top four rivals, other top six teams have a collective defensive scheme. Sort of, you know, Quite a few of them that want to play with advanced fullbacks tell their defensive midfielders when the fullback goes forward the defensive midfielders have to drop in the space and fill that out you see that happen with Spurs you see that happen with Manchester City you see that happen with other teams United don't do that so when the fullbacks go forward it's just Maguire and Raphael and yeah Varane has got the recovery pace to do that Maguire doesn't and Maguire knows he doesn't have the pace for that and 
everyone around him knows he doesn't have the pace for that. So a lot of the thing is, if you can get him to turn around and run towards his own goal, he's going to panic and cause loads of mess. So you see loads of balls in behind. You know, you, Maguire comes on, you want to run in behind, play balls in behind, and just basically get him turning around because he can't do that too quickly. And Maguire goes out of his way to stop that action from happening. And I think the amount of time he's played a game, he's being forced to try and do the one thing he doesn't want to do. And the fact that he stops that from happening six, seven times out of ten is remarkable. And is why he's a very good defender, because he's constantly being made to do the thing he doesn't want to do, and he stops that from happening. Most teams that want to be in the Champions League don't leave their centre-backs out to dry. They certainly don't leave their club captain out there to dry. But Maguire, for the most part, just gets on with it. And that's why when he makes a mistake, it looks really bad, because he's doing the one thing he doesn't like doing. There's this phrase about how you've got to make sure your last mistake is not your last mistake. And unfortunately for Maguire, the way he defends... Uh, and, and the way Manchester United is set up, very often the last mistake he makes on the pitch tends to be the last mistake that happens before a goal. Another point that was that was put to me about the defence is it's still ever-changing. So if you look at United's best sides, there tends to have been a very stable mm-hmm. defence. And what you get from that stable defence is familiarity among those players, which doesn't breed contempt. It breeds better passing patterns, a better understanding of who's going to go where, who's going to do do what. And you've seen well, Varane playing on the right and on the left. And you've seen Lindelof playing, you've seen Bailly playing, you've seen Phil Jones playing. And when Ollie, Ollie Solskjaer came in, he wanted to build from the back again. That's why he spent so much on on Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And, 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 and on Maguire. great at progressing the ball. When Maguire's not in the team and it's a McFred partnership, that most of the line breaking passes, most of the dribbling from deep is coming from Maguire. You will see this if Maguire gets dropped and it's a McFred partnership. You're going, oh wait, why isn't the ball going from our penalty area to the centre circle quickly? Because Maguire, Maguire is the one who does that. He does so much work to cover up holes from the other for the rest of the United team in those first two thirds, and there is very little given to him in return. And I'm not saying he's he's having a terrible run of form. This is the worst I've seen him in a United shirt. Um, and if uh, you know if he does get dropped, okay, fine, whatever. I'm not going to be in uproar. But the the level of vitriol and the opinion people have about how Maguire is terrible and he's a fridge, and United could never win anything with him, I think is a bit too far. I know Raphael Van der Vaart seems to think it's very funny every time Maguire plays in the Champions League to call him the worst defender of all time. But I think Maguire is a very good example of how a single defender can be made to look stupid if he's not given protections left and right and around him. I don't care who you are. Like Virgil van Dijk doesn't like turning very quickly to his left. So Rafael Rafael Varane doesn't like turning quickly. That that's probably his his no. weak point, that first yard. And then he can go through mm. the gears because he's is exceptionally fast. Gerard Piquet, one of the best defenders yeah. in the world. United for no, his weakness got was ruined. Yeah. Ruined by Fernando Torres because Torres figured out oh if I just attack him on his inside shoulder he can't do that quick swivel and you you, you can't catch me every defender has something so you want something to protect him and Maguire's one is he can't he can't do that quick swivel and if you run him behind he's going to be in trouble in, mit- in mitigation so- Nemanja Vidic would argue strenuously <laughs> against the myth of being done by Torres but it is what everyone says about him but maybe if Nemanja rings you up you can have a chat with him about that 
Uh, yeah, I would, in full uh... detail, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we need to just briefly mention Southampton this weekend because Harry's going to have his hands full again, isn't he? Armando Brogia looked brilliant against Spurs uh, in the victory at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last night. Che Adams scored the winner as well, so he'll be full of confidence. And just as a team, Andy, trying to stop James Ward-Prowse getting any opportunity to use his delivery is a challenge for United, isn't it? It looks like a tough game this against Southampton. Yeah, it was a tough game at, at St Mary's um, earlier on in the season. And you've got the two managers, obviously. Um, Ralphie v Ralph. Ralphie v Ralphie. Um, and I'm not watching them all the time. I know Carl um, covered uh, Southampton, but they've had, they had an exceptional result. Not usually that strong at Old Trafford, but once again, it, it's a match that Manchester United have to win, no ifs or buts. I've said it now for the last two matches. If you're not beating Southampton at home, then the criticism's going to get even uh, stronger towards Ralph Rangnick. Whatever the excuses are, however well United play in different um, passages, got to win. What do you think, Carl? It's going to be a hard one. Um, Southampton are you know great high pressing team. It, this will be sold on BT, you know, it's the early kickoff, it's on BT Sport on the weekend. It's going to be sold as a master and apprentice match because Rangnick and Hassan will work together at RB Leipzig and the four-two-two-two method that Rangnick tried to do at United in those early games is exactly how Southampton play now, right? They So we know how Southampton are going to play because United tried to do this early in the season and couldn't quite do this. We also know that Southampton love beating up Paul Pogba as a pressing trap and Pogba uh, there was you know the 2-2 draw in, in 1920 where basically they just waited for Pogba to receive the ball of Matic and De Gea and then he immediately shot up and pressed them Pogba's great when you, one person presses him he's terrible when two people press him a lot of tall players are like that um, so that's going to happen we know they're going to be high energy so that means Maguire needs to watch out for those runs in behind as well uh, and we also know James Ward-Prowse loves scoring free kicks against David De Gea because he's done twice now that said, United are really good and uh, Southampton haven't scored uh, one. Um, haven't won at Old Trafford yet, so I'm going to be really optimistic and say this is going to be a 2-0 uh, victory and we're going to be really calm on Monday. Just on Southampton, I'm, I'm not watching them all the time, but their uh, central defender, uh, Sally Sue, has, has really impressed me when I've seen him. He's so him. good. I wish he would play for Ghana. Yeah. He doesn't want to play for us. And, and look at Southampton's uh, recent results. they got a draw. Um, against Manchester City, that excellent win uh, against Tottenham. They hammered Brentford 4-1, so they're in form. Yeah, the signs there. James Ward-Prowse as well, interestingly, has scored the most free kicks now in the Premier League, apart from David Beckham in Premier League history. That's how good he's been, uh, sort of sharing company with the likes of Gianfranco Zola and Thierry Henry as well. And and Ward-Prowse used to practice in his back garden, trying to be David Beckham as well. So... um, I hope he miskicks them all on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> I hope I hope every single one of them, James, doesn't go how it used to go in your mum and dad's back garden. Right, before we go then, we need to reflect on Manchester United winning a football match at Old Trafford last night as well in the FA Youth Cup because our friend Laurie Whitwell has sent us a report on Manchester United's 4-1 win against Everton to send them through to the sixth round. It's really poor, headed away by Cobby Menuk. He's a real foot race, Garnacho. Garnacho against Malin, who's treading through cement. 
Garnacho, McNeil waits, Garnacho all the way, brilliant, what a run, and what a finish, and he deserves that. In the last minute of the game, it was a really good occasion at Old Trafford for the FA Youth Cup fifth round, uh, United against Everton. Uh, United won 4-1 in the end, which is a really good result considering that quite a few of the players in Everton's side, the under-18 side, had actually featured for the 23s. Um, so they've got that kind of experience and, and quite a lot of physicality in them. And they did take the lead and you know they created a lot of chances in that first half. But United really held their own, created a lot of chances themselves. It was a really entertaining game. Um, and perhaps a little bit fortunate to equalise from the penalty spot with Charlie McNeil. Um, but a really good header from Kobe Maino put United 2-1 up. Top cross from Mark Gerardo. And then in the second half, United really did turn it on. Um, Sam Mather scored uh, United's third. A nice finish um, coming in off the right wing. And he went over to the away fans. Uh, There's a couple hundred Everton fans who hadn't really been saying much, but he, he decided to take the opportunity uh, with the fans in the stadium to give them a bit of stick back and celebrate right in front of them. And then the moment of the match came from Alejandro Garnacho, who ran, got to be 70 yards, um, absolutely did his defender for speed. Um, he kind of gave up. It looked like he might have even pulled a hamstring trying to keep up with, with Ganacho, who then really calmly cut inside and, and, and slotted in a finish, took his shirt off, did the CU celebration, um, got booked for it, but I don't think he really cares. Um, he, he, he was really the standout ultimately because he just got the ball and ran with it. He also set up Charlie McNeil for a, a really good chance with that kind of drive and only 17, signed from Atletico Madrid um, just before the Brexit regulations made it um, impossible to do so. So I think that's a, a really good signing from United and and kind of want to watch out for. I also thought Daniel Gore in midfield was really tidy on the ball, um, had a good way of protecting it. And, and Kobe Mayner, who I've heard a little bit about previously, I was impressed with him in terms of interceptions and then passing through the lines. Afterwards, we spoke to Reese Bennett, the captain, really eloquent guy, he understood what it means to be in the FA Youth Cup, um, as well as um, Gerardo and um, Omari Forson, who was the number 10 uh, for United on Wednesday night. But yeah, really encouraging display. Manager Travis Binion was on the touchline, giving encouragement and, and pointing in different directions and, and at the end full time all the players went over to the, the sort of few thousand United fans that had, had travelled to, to show their support um, and there was a few family members in there for sure but um, at the same time I think quite a lot of them just wanted to show their appreciation big moment in front of Old Trafford you know and crowd so and that's kind of the thing that they were talking about afterwards but a, a good performance overall yeah, thank you for that, Laurie. Uh, just to sort of reiterate a point there, if you haven't seen Alejandro Garnacho's goal yet from last night, genuinely, it's one of the best goals I've seen scored at Old Trafford by a Manchester United player in quite a while. Um, I don't know, even know if there's much competition, Carl, for that type of goal running from your own box to score. What, this doesn't happen for Manchester United anymore, does it? On the, I need to give the highlights a rewatch, but I do enjoy those moments in, in Youth Cup games where sort of everyone goes bollocks the midfield and let's just run at each other for ages. Great win against Everton. You've got a good youth system. Fantastic for the young lads to be playing at Old Trafford, for a crowd to be there with away fans in as well. And I'd love Manchester United to win the FA Youth Cup. It's a competition that United have won more than any other team, but haven't won it since 2011 against uh, Sheffield United with a lad called Harry Maguire. Conceded six Scoring goals at Sheffield United. Goal as well, I seem to remember <laughs> yeah. at Old Trafford, yeah. But for a long time, United were by a long way the most dominant team. And Chelsea are catching up. Chelsea have won it nine times to United's ten. And that concerns me a little bit. I think Villa won it uh, last season. City had won it the league before. But Chelsea had been the most dominant team. So it would be wonderful if, if United could get to the final in the Youth Cup. I'm sure the crowds would surge. I think it's a great opportunity for young fans to come, get access to free tickets or very cheap tickets. 
and and congratulations to the players on beating Everton so convincingly. Yeah, absolutely. Less the next up in the sixth round for Manchester United. But that's it for Talk of the Devils. Don't forget the 33% discount is still there. You can get a third off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Andy and Carl, thank you so much for your company. Listeners at home as well, thank you for listening on Talk of the Devils. We are all off to try Benny and Hot. See you on Monday after Southampton. Bye-bye. I started seeing this last in April 2018 I'll tell you what she introduced me It's a little tipple I now quite like a lot It comes in a glass and with water that is hot It comes out of a unique shape bottle With a red badge on it, it makes me smile for sure Of this drink I can never feel mean Can I get away, hey, for Benedictine? Benny and Hot, I like it a lot What a wonderful and smooth texture it has got Can cure the common cold or a hangover A comfort absolutely bloody, oh you know The Athletic.